Hey awesome nerds, and welcome to a bonus episode of D&D and TV, uh, the weekly podcast where we rewatch, recap television shows we really enjoy and talk about how the themes, concept, and characters can be used in different role-playing games. But being a bonus episode, we are talking about a film instead. This time talking about DreamWorks's smash hit, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Not Puss in Boots 2, as it was originally plugged, I believe, um, but Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. I am your host, Jeremy, and I am joined by my co-host, Afif, who was not actually old enough to see Shrek in theaters when it first came out 21 years ago now. 22 years ago, I believe it would have been. Yep, I'm, I'm here, notorious cat lover and boot wearer. Boot wearer, that's true. That's true. I rarely see you without boots. Uh, and much like puss, just like boots, belt, no pants. <laughs> Sometimes a cape, yeah. Yeah, I normally I don't like it when animals like in any sort of film like this have clothes and then take the clothes off. I'm like, oh, you're naked. You need to put the clothes back on. That's the design I'm used to. This one I was weirdly fine with. I'm like, yeah, that's just the cat out of clothes. He's a cat. That kind of makes sense. He looked very weird uh, without his clothes early in the film. I was more disturbed by the beard, honestly. Oh, the beard was... I'm so glad when they got rid of it. Yeah. it's. Like, I, I know that some cats can grow a beard because, you know, they just get scruff and a mane. But that was... I was just like, ooh, I'm not sure I like that. Yeah. <laughs> cats should not have beards. Uh, it was an interesting film, as we have been discussing off-air. Uh, but let's let's get into it. What do you... What could you tell us the plot of, um, of Puss in Boots, The Last Wishes, which is... Wishes us. You okay there? Yeah, I'm Never. just having a bit of a like a, a mental spark. Um, yeah. Well, there's a. It's about Puss in Boots, the uh, mm-hmm. titular outlaw. You know, um, steals from the rich, gives to the to give to the poor. Classic uh, Robin Hood kind of. Is he an antihero? No. Robin Hood is a, uh, not an antihero. No, he's just a plain old hero. Yeah. Um, but he's not a, he's not a lawful hero, right? That's the thing. Everyone loves a chaotic hero. Yes. Everyone loves a chaotic hero. Well, except Hollywood, but we'll, we're not going to get into that. <laughs> uh, sure. And he's, he's run out of lives. He's a cat. He's lost eight of his nine lives. He's down to one life, has a, uh, existential crisis upon mm-hmm. meeting someone threatens that last life and sets out to find a wishing star i like the way that you're you're, you're trying not to spoil a character reveal in a children's (laughs) film where i think as we established before or on off air the only people who would not see this twist coming would be children who i'm very concerned are listening to this podcast like if they're they're on this then i'm really worried because we swear a lot like a fucking lot Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We fucking, fucking hell swear here. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. What well, is a weird? Th- I don't know what it is about kids' movies where they just always have to have a twist villain. Like, you reckon? And, it, and this isn't really a well. It's is this not a always. recent thing? And this, I guess this isn't a twist villain in the traditional sense of like normally a twist villain is like someone you you trust, you think is a good character, and it turns out oh they're the bad guy the whole time. Um, but it is really prevalent in, in children's films and it's, it's quite annoying. Honestly. Okay. That's interesting. I would have said that villains are incredibly telegraphed in kids films. Um, well, is that you kind of reading between the lines or like what the, the intention is of like how they're supposed to be or how they're intended to be portrayed, I guess. Well, I think all the ones that I'm thinking of, they're always like mustache twirling villains from the very beginning. It's like, I am so evil. Um, right. So it's never um, really a twist that they turn out to be evil. Whereas I feel like we're, we're not much in the same films. I'm thinking, okay, well, I guess how many animated movies do you kind of watch, especially like ones aimed at children, I guess? Because I've last... watched a lot of them. I'm sure you have. Um... You know what? Let me check. I'm pretty certain I saw an animated film just recently. So I'm a teacher. It's, I'm allowed. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay that I, I hang out with children. Uh, last. Okay. See, the last kids film I watched before this that I would class as a kids film was the 1990 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. 
Like, <sighs> okay. that's got that's got the villain from very early on. Probably before that animated was Wreck-It Ralph. Okay, Wreck-It Ralph. Uh, and I'll give you that. That does have kind of a twist villain. Well, actually... Um, there are a lot. I'm just going to put it out. There are a lot. Yeah. Just quickly on, on Wreck-It Ralph. I wouldn't say it's a twist villain. There's a twist reveal. He's a twist ex- villain. He's a, you reckon? Turbo? Yeah. Yeah. Because so, you think he's a good guy and then he's... Oh, all right. Before that, Treasure Planet, Chippendale Rescue Rangers. It's like I've seen. Oh yeah, Chippendale Rescue Rangers had the twist. Is that the recent one? Yes, because it's fucking amazing. That one's yeah, surprisingly good. Yeah, it's got Ugly Sonic. <laughs> Ugly Sonic is really good. I'll be honest. I can't. I don't know if I can deal with Andy Samberg as like a lead role. I think it's too like when he when he hams up the voice like that. I can't. Oh yeah. All right, that's interesting because we were talking about casting off air as well. And I think the casting's pretty solid. The casting for, for this, I feel, is pretty solid. I feel this is a very interesting thing because Antonio Banderas as Puss in Boots, like iconic, yes, yes. And Selma Hayek as Kitty Softboys, like also iconic. Now, do you know why Antonio Banderas was Puss in Boots? Um. Because uh, Hollywood's very whitewashed and that's like the only Latino guy they knew. Uh, okay. Like the biggest name. <laughs> Why is Puss in Boots Latino? Uh, because, oh, that's, you know what? That's a good question. That is a good question because the original Puss in Boots tales come from Italy. I think it was originally um, the other way where they got Antonio Banderas for Shrek originally for Shrek 2 to play Puss yeah. in Boots. And then from there they decided to make it like Spanish background. And yeah, and they basically so they, went, you know what? He was yeah. really popular in Mask of Zorro, so we're just going to make it Zorro. Yeah, and I think it's... I mean, this is a thing that comes up a lot as well between, like, actors versus voice actors, and often you get these big-name actors who are very terrible voice actors, but this is not the case here. Uh, well, Antonio Banderas is amazing. That's just... Yeah, he's fully into it. Uh, so was... Was it Salma Hayek? Yeah. Yeah, she's great as well. I'm pretty certain it's Alma Hayek. I didn't actually check the credits, to tell the truth. I checked the credits for um, The Bears, and that's kind of it. Yeah, I love Olivia Coleman as Mama Bear. I, I just thought, that's Florence Pugh doing doing another accent. Yeah. <laughs> of course, I, we could talk, Okay, let's talk first, because I, I brought up the idea that Puss in Boots, the original, was an Italian fairy tale. Now, how do you feel about using fairy tale ideas in your role-playing games? Like, are you a fan of just retelling the fairy tale or having, you know, the Hansel and Gretel story, but they've got to go and kill the hag? Like, what's... Do you want to do that I... and have that, uh, like, um, I guess, everyone knows the story. Do you want to do that? Or do you want to bring up your own thing? Um... I think it's interesting. It, I think there is a lot of value in a story that everyone knows. Um, yeah. And I think that fairy tales are generally old enough and kind of vague enough where you can put like a lot of twist on it, uh, make it very, very different, right? Like in, you know, Hansel and Gretel in space, you're following, you know, reactor cores being left behind or something. Like, I don't know. You can, but you just have that same, you can use it as inspiration. I think they're, they're great sources of inspiration. But See, I've got I, no problem, yeah. I find it interesting too, because I feel that because fairy tales are so very specific for one person, like it's always about Goldilocks or it's about, you know, Cinderella or Sleeping Beauty, it's one character. You can't really adapt them into role-playing games, which is usually a group of people, as easily. Sure. But what if it's not about the character, but instead the circumstances, right? What, like the Pride Piper of Hamlet or something? Well, like, Goldilocks is almost like a, I guess, almost like a horror story, right? Like, you, yeah. you find you find a nice house, you get there, and it's like, wow, everything's so great. Like, the party enters this nice place, finds all these wonderful loot and whatever, and then while they're there, the owners return. And... Yeah, okay, okay, I like that. I like, oh, I like that. Maybe there's a, a magic item that's too powerful, and then there's one that's um, not powerful enough, and then there's one that's just right, and then a bear eats your head. Yeah. Yeah, all right, all right. See, because I've been thinking about this, I wanted to do a world that was based heavily on stories, kind of like the the Shrek tales. 
because um, this is part of Shrek's universe, apparently. Shrek. Yeah. I, okay, I did bears again. I've got questions. Um, so, and Pied Piper was actually one that I came up with quite easily because I like the idea of the rats and like someone controlling them with the uh, music. But I was like, are you, like the story of the Pied Piper, it's like the townspeople are jerks. Are you meant to be on their side? Like he's, he gets rid of all the rats and they don't pay him. So he takes all the kids and you're like, if I've got an adventure party, they're going to go, well, you should have paid him. Yeah. Or are they well, the Pied that, Pipers? Well, isn't that the whole point is that it's not, it's not like prescriptive. You don't have to like follow what happens in the fairy tale. I think it's more presenting like the stakes and the setting and then saying, well, like what happens now? Like what if this happens? Okay. So you'd go for more the stakes, the settings and the trappings of it. So you'd have the bears or you'd have the cat with the boots rather than the message behind the fairy tale. Well, I think that's the appeal with, like, TTRPGs in general, is that people want to be able to, like, make their own story, basically. You don't want to just rehash what's already been covered. Yeah, and you don't want to be in somebody else's story. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool, cool. All right, so fairy tales suck. We, we got that established. No. <laughs> I know that um friend of the pod, Tori, would come down and, you know, kill me if I said that. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, all right. Now I want to touch on the bears. Going going from fairy tales okay. to the three bears. Phrasing. Oh. <laughs> okay. I didn't see that one. I hope everyone else did. Write it in the comments if you did. Sure. Um. So you remember Shrek? Yes, I know. I'm well aware of the continuity discrepancy between okay. this and the first Shrek film. Okay, because this is for those who might not have seen this. In the first Shrek film, it has like the three bears. And the mama bear gets killed and skinned and uses Lord Farquaad's rug. And I'm pretty certain, like, one of them loses a leg. Yeah, and this all happens sort of in the background, essentially. This is, like, yeah. very, uh, like a background continuity joke in the first track. Yeah. And now, I was able to, like, fan hand wave it away. I was going to say fan wank, which is the other version of hand waving it away. By saying, okay, cool, so Papa Bear remarried. Good on him. Um, and you know, baby bear obviously grew up a bit. It's been, it clearly has been a while since the first Shrek. Like I am. Yeah. I think this does take place after all the Shreks. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he has a flat, Puss in Boots has a flashback and sees Donkey and Shrek. So clearly he's met them at some point during his adventures, but the leg, (laughs) the legs having my problem. (laughs) Like did his leg grow back? Or is well, this I just a it's... world where, like, three bit, like the stories keep happening? Maybe. Um, there could have been three other totally... I think that's a little bit... I think you're profiling a little bit, thinking that all, like, all... sets of bears... <laughs> yeah, all bears that are in threes uh, must be the same three bears from this fairy tale. That's true. I mean, I like the idea that Papa Bear remarried. You know, yeah, you know what? Good for him. Yeah. And then and, Baby you know, Bear... But... And that also kind of explains, like, Baby Bear's, like, antagonism towards Goldilocks. It's like, hey, I've just got this new mother who now doesn't like me as much anymore. It's like a whole... And why Mama Bear is, like, the one who's so, like, invested in Goldie? Because it's like, well, I'm also kind of an outsider in this family. I did expect at the end... Like, I don't care about spoilers. Again, I did expect that Goldilocks' wish was to be, I want to be a bear. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been probably better, I think. Right? But as soon as I saw what they were going to do with it, I'm like, no, that's sweet. I like that. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, I thought the the bear subplot was a little weak, to be honest. Yeah, Like, was. I thought they, they focused on it too much. Well, when you get Ray Winston and Olivia Coleman and um, Florence Pugh, you, you get what you pay for, all right? You yeah. get them as much as possible. Now, that's the thing, that they did show up a lot. Like, more so, I would say, than the actual villain of Jack Horner. Um, what do you mean the actual would you say Jack Horner's the actual quote unquote villain or the wolf uh, yeah I would say the actual villain is Jack Horner but I have reasons for that which we'll get to um, sure I, I reckon the Jiminy Cricket stand-in would agree with you yeah because he <laughs> I did like one, that one line. of my favourite characters I, I okay I have issues with that as well it's sure. like he's doing a Jimmy Stewart impression, but Jiminy Cricket wasn't played by Jimmy Stewart. 
I don't think it's it's I mean, vital it's to the character. Yeah. It's mm, it's it's seeing fairy tales through or seeing these classic things through like six or seven different iterations, and it's no longer the thing you're making fun of. And it's like mm, you you're doing it wrong. Anyway, um, I would say okay, Jack Horner's line of what is it? What he says? You wouldn't shoot a puppy in the face. It's like yeah. Oh, sorry, you wouldn't shoot a puppy, would you? Yeah, I would, right in the face. Uh, that was great i love that yeah there is that great like just over the top cartoonishly evilness to jack horner yeah and self-aware about it as well like of course i'm gonna do these horrible things i'm a horrible person and okay there's a whole bunch of stuff going on with that one the fact that he's a caricature of people like the entitled rich brat like even the original nursery rhyme is that it's like genius to make him a villain yeah i think as well what i want to like bring up now before we start talking about all the characters is i think one of the things i love about this movie is that it's filled with lots of great ideas for npcs yes yes much all the side characters are just so okay uh they're just great inspiration for for npcs um you're gonna gush weren't you Go on. I'm gonna go. It's a. I love this movie. It's a great movie. Yeah. Look, don't um, don't let me hating on it bring you down. Sure. Um, I don't know. Well, shit. I love I, one of my favorite films was Hudson Hawk. Okay, so you, this is the standard that I try to meet. Sure. Um, I think it's a good lesson in like how you can make a character impactful with very little screen time. I think is a great example because there are just so many characters. Stuff like the. Uh, the baker's dozens and all yeah. their, their cool like chef themed weapons, you know, like the axe with the box grater on the side of the, the blade mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Well, the um, serpent sisters, like very early on, like, oh, I, <laughs> so they great. made enough of an impact that I was like, is this a fairy tale that I don't know about? Is that a thing? Like, is this a story about two women, two sisters who just always tell stories? Yeah. Just like, and like just cartoonishly stupid and won't shut up. Yeah. And I was just like, this, these two, I kind of want to know about all those murders that they did. Um, all right. Is there something that you specifically want to talk about? Get off yes. My chest. There's not, not get off my chest. There's a couple of things I wanted to talk about. And it did sure. tie in the fact that we have the bears as antagonists. Um, I like the way it's just the bears. Goldilocks is included in that group. Um, then they also have Jack Horner and then you have the wolf. And then there's the antagonism between Kitty Soft Paws and Puss in Boots, all trying to get this map. And to me, that's classic, like, high shenanigans, pulp, like, punch em up kind of action. Like, everyone's body, body, who's got the body as you run from room to room and someone picks something up and, like, throws it to somebody else. And I love to have that sort of chaotic energy in a lot of my games, particularly when you get into combat. It like is we've very... got three different sides and they're all kind of fighting yeah. against each other. I always think of like Rat Race is the one I think of. Where yes. it's just like just so many people involved with their own motivations. And own agenda, um, yeah. I wonder if... So for like a tabletop RPG setting, is that... I mean, do you want your players to be like competing with each other in that sense? Because like the more interested like the... The bigger the variety of interested parties, the the more interesting the stakes are, I guess. And mm. I think it's one of those situations where if you want to, as a game master, have it very simple, you put the players against each other. Like you say, okay, everyone, you've got your own agenda. Now we just kind of have at it at the final battle and see who comes out on top, like a free-for-all PvP. But if you want them to be working as a group against other groups, maybe you have small like this where it's like okay so all the bears act as one all the jack horner people act as one and then you got kind of the wolf as the environmental effect that comes through i'm thinking combat of course yeah and the the wolf is interesting because it only affects like one person (laughs) yeah i think that's an element too because you're gonna have to make the players be the ones to be really running about because otherwise they can yeah, just sit back. Yeah, you want them and, to be, yeah. yeah. This, I think I, it's a tough one, though, honestly. I feel um, it's something that you wouldn't be able to get everyone on the board at the same time, but you'd be able to have all those different factions operating behind the scenes, as it were. 
and the players yeah. can be the people in the middle. Like okay, they've, yeah. they've got the object and the factions all kind of come to them and go, hey, we can help you out with that. We can get you whatever you need as long as you give us that and maybe take care of that other faction at the same time. And the other faction comes to them as well and say, I know they've given you a pretty good deal, but we can give you a better one. And they've got to make that decision. And it kind of leads the adventure in another way or they can try and take out both. And it's very, very crime heisty feel to me. Yeah. And I, it really, it really sparks something in me, and I have no, no idea how I'd do it. It kind of um, reminds me when I'm, I'm going to tell a story from a table. Sure. Um, table stories. I need a jingle for that. There was a a train heist that my party was running, or going to do, and this is kind of how it went down, where they managed to stop the train with a herd of emus. Um, and by stop the train, I mean they put the emus on the track and the train eventually stopped. But their original plan was to blow up the track. And no one actually told the half-orc not to keep trying to blow up the track. So the member of the um, the party who was on the train runs into the, into the uh, security car. Someone else jumps on the security car. The half-orc chucks a stick of dynamite under the train. And everyone's just like, oh shit, now we've got a time limit. And the half-orc suddenly like goes, oh, what do I do? What do I do? I'd have to tell everyone to get off. And without asking anyone, the warlock uses Mage Hand and throws the dynamite off the other side of the train, right at where the wizard was standing. So everyone's just jumped off the train and then there's an explosion. They all look around and the wizard's just standing there half dead. And it's like that kind of chaos where you're still working together, but you have no, no communication whatsoever. And it's like, yeah. I, yeah, like they're all after that one goal, but you're quite happy to slap somebody else on the side of the head to get your, your goal as well. I think to me, it reminds me a lot of like yes anding and improv where you kind of want, like you want the bad things to happen, but you don't want it to stop. Yeah. Right. Like you want there to be obstacle. You're like, it's like, instead of a smooth road, you want there to be all these like bumps and potholes and stuff, but you don't ever want to stop. Um, you you like so you got to really that's a thing i think a lot of players sometimes are hesitant about doing certain things because they're scared of failure yeah um and i think it's important as well that you kind of like establish and have at your table um that like failure isn't a bad thing i guess is the main thing and that it doesn't have to just like be the finality of it and i think turning failures into interesting story moments and stuff is really important because that's what because that's what you want, right? Up until the very end, you want it to just be like constantly failing for all that that chaos to happen, essentially. Because that's what all those or everything that you just described was, right? It's just mistake after mistake after mistake, but it's yeah. great. <laughs> and that's, I think, one thing about it is mistake. I make failure mean something in that regard. It's like yeah. why you're rolling your failure is not going to be really hilarious for everyone involved. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of, I guess that's, that's the thing. If failure is going to be hilarious for everyone involved, that's the way to get that chaos. Now, yeah, I, I think so. I sense that you're going to want to talk about the wolf a lot. So we're going to save that till last, I reckon. <laughs> I th- okay, sure. There's, there's a lot to talk about with the wolf. Yeah, there is. Um, I think, okay. The main crux of this story is the quest for the wish. Like it's called the last wish for a reason. And sure. do you allow wish in your games of D and D? Because it's a pretty powerful Ooh. spell. It hasn't come up yet, but well, I haven't actually thought about it. And if anyone from my campaign is listening to this, I don't know if I want to say it. I would say most players, in my experience, abuse wish like crazy. Yeah, and I'm thinking like I just finished watching campaign one of Critical Role. Um, basically I started watching it as hey I'll watch the Chroma Conclave before the new season starts and I did and then I just kept watching and I finally got to the end for like the fifth time Um, I have too much time on my hands anyway the wish is like a key element of that final sequence uh, in two different regards and it does come into play much later in in one of the spin-offs and that's not used for like, I'm going to get more power. It's very much used for a story reason. But to me, it's always been, if you get a hold of a wish in 
D&D, it's usually, cool, we wish for the villain to be dead. Or I wish yeah. I had like level 20 powers or something. Um, I, my only experience with Wish was in a campaign I was playing in, which was ages ago. And we were basically in like a really, really bad situation. And it was, it was just a full Hail Mary. Like everything was going to shit. It was looking like a TPK. And then my character had managed to just like somehow make this save and avoid all this terribleness. And I got a wish out of it. Oh, nice. And I think the big thing was that it was unexpected. There was no like, oh, we've got, well, we've got a wish. Like, what are we going to wish for? It was like in the moment. And I was like very on the spot. Um, And because so much, there was so much bad stuff had happened already. It in a way limited as well what I could do with the wish. Yeah. Um, Because it's like, I can fix one thing, but there's, there's so many things to fix. Um, And it was, it was awful. (laughs) It was so anxiety (laughs) inducing. There was so much pressure. Um, Yeah. Do you think that was set up deliberately so that there would be so many... uh, it was it was not. It was I don't think oh, it was okay. I don't think it was going to be a TPK, but I think the DM wasn't expecting anyone to make the save, so Right. Uh okay. I mean I guess that's a good reward. It's like, well, if I were gonna kill you, I guess you get a wish instead. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I just I wanna like wish, but again, it kind of boils down to making a fairy tale type thing. Like you've got the Aladdin and the magic lamp sort of wishes. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like I'm just kind of clawing at an idea and not really grabbing onto that one for some reason. I mean, so you don't like wishes? You don't have them in your game? I try not to. I feel that once you're starting to get wishes, you don't really need wishes. Right. Because you can do so much else anyway. Yeah. It's like, what, what do you really need? Like the most impressive thing about critical role is that they managed to make wish mean something without it just being um extra extra points basically like they really needed this spell to go off they needed this thing to work otherwise they were screwed like that's really what in my opinion wish should mean like this is exactly what puss and boots is trying to get it's like he feels like he cannot live with only one life he needs this thing or he is his life is over essentially yeah. Um, yeah, I guess. I don't know. I think that that also goes to, I think, maybe just like design choices overall and, and spell design in 5th edition. There's a lot of spells I'm not a fan of, and honestly. Yeah. Yeah, if you want a list of fan the spells that people aren't a fan of, just go over to Eldritch Lawcast and hear Ben Burn talk about it for a while. Freaking Force Cage. Oh my god. Oh that god, spell. For- I, I, everyone loves hypnotic pattern uh, until I use it against them. That's a thing. Here's the thing, right? This is a this is a DM rant moment, right? Yeah. Where it's like, as a general rule of thumb, when I'm like, especially when people ask me for rulings on things, I'm like, sure. But I always just say like, okay, if you want to pull off some shenanigans, just know that the villains or the enemies can also do these shenanigans, right? Because yeah. that way it's it's consistent and it's fair. Um, yeah. Which is, that's a good, like, rule of thumb as well when you're GMing and you're not sure about stuff. Like, if the players want to do it, let the enemies do it as well. That way it's fair. In fact, um, a lot of the time I find the things that the players want to do is something that the enemy really should have thought of in, in the first... Like, what is it? I take the, the water out of their blood and they dehydrate when I control water. It's like, yeah, you know what? The villain's probably done that a few times. And yeah, gonna do it's like, it to sure, you that's, very soon. that sounds bullshit. That sounds bullshit. The enemy's going to do it to you now. Yeah. Um, but there's also a thing where, and I guess this is like a game design thing in general, where it's like, it's not just about what's fair, but it's about what's fun. Um, and there are some spells that are just not fun to be on the other end of, right? Uh, so on the one hand, it's like, if the players want to use Force Cage on the enemies, it's like, technically I could just respond by also Force Caging the players, but then that's just not, they're going to have such a bad time if I do that to them, you know? Mm. Like, um, I, I find when it's something like a force cage like that, I've planned specifically for it to work and they're going to be stuck there talking to the villain for a little while. Yeah. And then they're just like, oh yeah, I just made my charisma save. I'm like, well, fuck. I guess we're going into combat now. We're just going to do the same as we always do. 
Because yeah. that's the other thing that generally when the players try these things, their skills are so much better than the monsters are. So when you try to do it back to them, they're just like, oh yeah, I'm fine. Ha uh-huh. ha. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's that. That's not, that's not Puss in Boots related. That's not Puss in Boots related, but I think it's actually, it can be. I'll bring it back to Puss in Boots. Yeah, that's what Kitty Softpaw represents. That all these things that, that Puss in Boots does, Kitty Softpaw does as well. Like oh, she's the, the foil okay. to him. She's the the other party who's just got the same skills he does. Can do usually things just a little bit better than him because he's sh- he shows off. Right, she's got the the simplified like monster manual stat block. Yes, she's the swashbuckler. He's the um, swashbuckler with a level in bard. Yeah. <laughs> um, sure I want to talk works. a bit about okay. the. I like a lot of the action sequences in general, but I especially want to talk about that first fight against the giant. Oh yes, I love that. I was thinking, yeah. I was thinking a it lot was, about that because it was fucking great. It. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Or you mentioned as well earlier about how they had some people from Spider Verse working on this film. Um, I didn't, but I I'm was, sure they did. did. Oh, was that off? Was no, that no. Off I mentioned into the Spider Verse, and I'd seen that they had a similar animation style. I didn't know that ah. they're actually. They probably is. Oh, they were. Similar. Yeah, there were some some people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, because a lot when a lot of the action kicks off you'll notice like a lot of the characters have lower frame rates like they'll change the frame rate on the animation um which is really nice actually it kind of works uh but i like that first fight because well what did you like about it actually i want to hear what you say the first fight i liked basically using the environmental parts of it that this is something that was very clearly you've got a small creature the cat in this case who should not be able to take out a creature that size and to me, it felt, okay, here is a small adventuring party where you've gone, hey, you're fighting a titan. And they've got to go, what do we use to bring this thing down? I Yeah, that was what I was going to say. A lot of what okay, I was going to say. Yes. Um, yeah, I liked it. Cutting it's you like, off. Because it does, you do ask that question of like, well, how, he's just a tiny little, he's got a tiny little sword. He's a tiny little cat. How on earth would he take down? a giant made of stone like um and they do the the splinter thing under the yeah. nails is great um using the environment and the bells so his hits himself is great mm-hmm. um I but i also like, like it because it's just very over the top and ridiculous and that's yeah. that's that's fun you know like that's dnd is about having fun if that's if that's the type of game you want like um, yes. Yes, I did think... If anything, it was over too quickly. And it just kind of came out of nowhere. Right. Well, I think it was... It's like scenes... It's like establishing, right? It's like scene setting at the start. He's like setting the tone for the film. It's like... Yeah. Um, and this is not... You wouldn't have like all your fights like this, right? But this is when your players really want or perhaps really need a win... And they're just, like, mm. hitting all the 20s and they're just fully steamrolling it. Like, you just go with that and make it as, as ridiculous as possible. They're, like, flying through the air off the, the boast of the, the strings of the cello or whatever. And, like, everything's <laughs> just landing. <laughs> yeah, that... The beginning of it really did feel like it was one of the players, ga- like, running the game before the, the real Game Master got there. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, and then you need to get up there. It's, okay, cool. You yeah. fire off from the cello. Like, I don't know how <laughs> the rules the, work. It's the player's sure it backstory. It's like the yeah. backstory to the character. Yeah. Yeah. And then they join the join the campaign and they just keep rolling ones. It's like, oh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was an interesting one, actually. I did just, I just like that fight. It was, it was fun. It's just fun. Yeah. Which is a lot of, yeah. It's important to, to focus on the fun. Um. I also really liked... What else do I have here? Oh, the magic map. I thought the magic map was super fun. Yes, I really enjoyed that one. And I did want to talk about that as... How would you have that with the changing... Like, that felt like the Feywild to me from D&D. That just this this emotional um, landscape that changes depending on who's looking at it and how they're feeling it. Like, 
would you prep everything ready to go? Or do you think you'd have like certain challenges that just kind of appear and you just change the flavor depending on who's, who's in charge of the map? I think the flavor makes sense in terms mm. of like saving yourself prep work. Um, depends on, cause I feel like most players, they're going to get that. If you're, if you're changing the environment based on who's holding the map, I feel like a lot of players are going to gamify it to an extent and like, okay, well let's every single person will hold the map so we can all see every single path. Right. Well, is that not what they did? Well, with three, with three quote-unquote players, sure, that's like not that much work, but then you have a party of six, perhaps, and that doubles all the work all of a sudden. Yeah. And then you've got to really like know their backstory and be like, okay, and this is what they're going to gonna go through. and Yeah. Um, but unless, well, I guess in Puss in Boots, obviously, there's like the big gag with uh, Perrito, the little, Perrito. little dog. I thought you were saying Burrito. Out- yeah, I found out it just means puppy uh, in Spanish. Yeah, I figured it'd be something like that. Burrito would have been uh-huh. funnier, but okay. <laughs> um, obviously, dog. like, that's the whole gag, uh, that his path is all super nice and everything. Yeah. Um, but if it's like, yeah, if it's for a, like a D&D game, I'd say you just have essentially like a random selection, I guess. And yeah. maybe depending on, on who's holding it, they'll get a different one, essentially. So they can, they have a choice, but then it's still it's still somewhat random, I guess. It was, I mean, kind of looking at, what was it? The Cave of Lost Souls for... I mean, that was, for, a, it, that was a very D&D moment, though. Like, that was a the very, map and the path, yeah. That was a very... It was very D&D. But I just feel like a lot of it felt generic, too. Like... Oh, yeah. It would have been very easy to, to change things up. Like, most of those stat blocks were just ogres kind of thing. Um, it's just like, well, this one looks like a crocodile sort of sort of um reskinning of it all sure but because of the description like you kind of need to have those improv skills to be able to change it on the fly depending on who's talking about it or who's looking at it yeah um but i did like it is very farewell though with some of those environments that they came yeah. up with. like the cave of lost souls and the the nostalgia pines and stuff is very uh it's it's not a just punch your way through it kind of problem or obstacle I did love the nostalgia pines actually, because I'm one. Okay. Here's what I really liked about it. The whole point of it was to stop whoever was trying to get to the, the star to make the wish. Like all of it was kind of, these are obstacles you come across, but each of them was also to make them realize that they didn't need it. Yeah. Like these are, these are kind of barriers to go, you don't need the wish. And you, if you push through, you will get there, but it's not actually what you want. It's like, this is something that will definitely stop you on your tracks. How effective do you think that would actually work in a D&D With a party? Game, no, it wouldn't yeah. work at all. Players are <laughs> single-minded and blinkers on in nearly every situation. I like, like the idea, though, perhaps instead of it being necessarily something they already have, is that you just give them... You still give them loot, but you give them, like, alternate loot, right? You give them, like, a a very rare weapon as opposed to the potential legendary weapon they might find at the end. But essentially yeah. as soon as they take it, then the, the path is closed. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And particularly if it's like a, particularly a weapon in that regard, you give them like the legendary weapon at the end that only one person can use, or you give them a rare thing that gives everyone a benefit. Yeah. And then that person has to decide, well, do I do this for the good of the party or do I go after the thing that I really, really want? I like, I like that as well, actually. The contrast between a singular thing versus for everyone at the party. And it could still, honestly, if it's still a wish at the end, but the wish is only for one person, I think that makes a lot mm. of sense as well. Mm. That's it. That's actually, that's, I'm going to write that down. That's a good one. I, I really thought um, Perito was just going to wish for a name. Like, that was kind of my expectation for it. There are a lot of like, there could have been a lot of good, quote unquote, good potential wishes, like like funny yes. gags. But I think that some funny gags, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, there's a lot going on in this film. Uh, there's a lot of ways it could have gone, uh, but only one it did go, because no matter how many paths there actually are on that map, 
there really, really only was one ending. Uh, and in that regard, there's that's, only really that's one a ending. Good, yeah, that's a good like metaphor for, for D&D. There is. Where? It's like there's, there's so yeah. many so many options. And this is going to be a segue. See, I'm, I'm segueing in because there's really only oh, nice. one one ending to life. Uh, it doesn't okay. matter what part you go, it always ends up in the same place. And I think we get to talk about the wolf now. Okay. The wolf in the room, the wolf in the corner, the wolf stalking your every move. The sexy wolf. Is he sexy? Like, apart uh, from the voice, did... is he sexy? What, did I say he was sexy? Was yeah, sexy? yeah. No, I've just, I've heard other people say that. Sure, yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> I, maybe, maybe it was like, you told me he was sexy and kind of like the internet had gone nuts for him. I was like, eh. I think it's the, uh, I think it's the danger aspect appeals to a lot of people, you know? He was pretty badass. He was very badass. I liked the uh, the fight scene with him and uh, Puss in Boots from the very start. I think all of his... Uh, he had such little screen time, but yeah. had so much presence. It was effective. Um, which is a really good lesson as well for, you know, how do you make your villain so scary uh, without him having to be there that much? Yeah, like his presence was felt constantly. Like that little, that tune that he whistles, that's a great way of doing it. Like just to have a, if you've got music in your game to have a soundtrack for your villain, like have a piece that all, like what is it? Jewel of the Fates in in Star Wars, in um, Phantom Menace. Just like you get this, I can't even remember how it goes right now. I have so a mental the, plan. This like that. And you're like, oh shit, shit's about to go down. And then you have all the Kill Bill um, music yeah dun, 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 dun. and you're like oh no something's happening uh and i remember this in a game i was a player in though we were just like walking through the through the um jungle and then we like someone's we get roll perception check you're like okay cool and suddenly like the villain's music starts we're like oh shit oh shit he's here he's here and like we hadn't encountered anything yet but the panic levels rose immediately yeah and it yeah um and it doesn't have to be it could be like any it's like a tell almost but it could be like maybe wherever this villain goes you'll see someone who's like i don't know like you'll see someone who's like missing an eye for example i don't know like just wherever this villain is there's just always someone missing an eye and then that way you just plant that seed and then you can just have people around the place who are missing an eye it's all of a sudden your players get paranoid and they're just (laughs) feeding it into it themselves it's that shape on the hill that looks like a horse and rider. And you're like, oh, is it? And it's like, no, no, it's just a tree. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. It. That's, a, that's a good way to do it in horror. I, I liked it because it did really raise the stakes for the, the character. Because for, for Puss? For Puss, yeah. Yeah. Like, you kind of knew. Well, I actually didn't know that he's going to spoilers come out okay in the end because it could have very easily gone i've had my adventures it's time for me to go now yeah and i feel that player characters in particular always feel like they're protected by plot armor because you want to keep playing with them at the table and that means that they do stupid shit but it also means that they don't really buy into the danger and if you can make them buy in with it and really feel like yeah these guys could kill you and that would be the end of that character and you'll have a new one but that one's gone um yeah i like to have a villain for want of a better word or just that that increasing of of danger for them i mean puss and booth is a great representation of a, a player character in that sense it's a pretty just, good one yeah yeah just the reckless abandon yeah um i think the other thing about death is there is or about the wolf in this wait the wolf is death <gasps> spoilers <laughs> um i think it's that it is like the inevitability of it right like he is yeah. this 
essentially unstoppable force. Um, and I think it's it's one of those things that it's hard to do well, where it's really easy to, to overdo it perhaps and just like leave your players with this feeling of hopelessness potentially of like, oh, this mm. thing is just, we can't kill it. It's going to kill us. Like, so how do you make that interesting and engaging without being like too much, you know? Yeah, I think one thing that I didn't particularly like about this version of Death as a, as a character was that he was actively trying to get Puss in Boots. And when you do that in the games that you were mentioning, like how do you make the, the characters or the players not feel like it's hopeless is when you're actively trying to kill them. Like you're the game master. You can kill them whenever you want. You just need to try a bit harder each time. Yeah. Like you control this world. You can have rocks fall. Everyone dies if you want, but you want to make it a challenge first. Like you can really set the deck against them. My general interpretation, like this is a lot more seventh seal style death than say um, Sandman. Yeah. And that's usually the way I play death, like a God of death that they're just like, yeah, you can do whatever the hell you want. I'm going to be there in the end. Like you can't uh... can't hide. I'm going to be here. Almost like not uninterested, apathetic, I guess. Yeah. Or slightly amused. Yeah. But I think that is an interesting take. I think the wolf version is an interesting take as well, where it's like, imagine just pissing off death because you kept (laughs) avoiding it or. Well, that's the thing. He doesn't take it seriously. And that's, that's the most D and D thing to me. Like he doesn't take it seriously. And finally the game master got pissed off and went, you know what? You're going to fucking respect my world and fucking respect my characters. Cause I'm sending the guy you cannot kill after you. And when he kills you, you're out. That's it. Game over. Yeah. And that's pretty much what, and I can, I like that again, because in the end, the death backs off. Cause he's like, you're fighting for your life. You, appreciate you respect the what you've got now so i don't need to kill you i'll see you again and i think going back to like what you said as well earlier about how you thought like it would be totally fine if puss died there as well yeah you know yeah um that's like a great position to put a player in i guess right and Mm. depending on how how they're feeling if they want their character to die then that's like a very satisfying death Um, but if they want to keep going as well you know then that also fits and it works have you, how many characters have you killed, would you say? Like, in a campaign, I've not killed, just in one shot. I've killed a few. Um, I feel like I don't kill as many in one-shots as I do in the campaign. I feel it's the other way around. I kill a lot of people in one-shots. Because like, I think I, just go I want the deaths... For me, I want the deaths to have more impact, I guess. Mm-hmm. Which you get in a campaign. It's interesting. In the campaigns... More, yeah. Sorry. Um, in the campaigns... My players are very, I guess, very tenacious at keeping everyone alive. Like, I think the Ugh. first time I really, I know it's, it's annoying. First time I actually like kill, killed a character, a dragon basically bit a druid in half. Like just chomped down on them, like started to swallow them. And the warlock just turns around and goes, I want my patron to bring them back. Like, I'm not allowing anyone to die on my watch. And that was very in character for the character as well. And it's like, okay, yeah, I can make this work. Um, But it was very much like that was the only course available to them. Yeah. Like, they weren't resurrecting people. Did you agree to that? I did. Did you bring the character? Okay. Yeah. um, For for reference, the warlock was like, the patron basically went, yeah, sure. You just need to do one thing for me. Just go to this place get a box, leave it on the ground and then walk away. Interesting. What was in the box? The box was a um, plane, of gate. Oh. Uh, and it was slowly opening a plane to the fire realm. So the, the patron could get out and attack the world. I mean, that does, it does remind me of like in critical role, not to bring it up again, but yeah. with the, at that point in the animated show as well, um, with Vax yeah. and how, yeah. To bring back Vex. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Some players are very, we need to keep everyone alive. And some are like, well, if you die, you die. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and there are a lot of like, I guess, especially in D&D, there are a lot of 
I mean, there are a lot of ways to bring people back, first of all. Yeah, which I don't um, like either. But yeah. Uh, yeah. I want death to there's mean a lot something. Of, there's a lot of interesting stuff you could do with death in D&D, for sure. There um, is um, a couple of things where you can go to death's realm and it's more sneaking through and trying to get out than uh, actually fighting. Yeah, I I had my players to bring to bring back someone had to go to the the realm of the dead. Um, you can also have consequences for for dying and coming back. Uh, you know, like random tables of like, oh now now you suffer on perception checks because your your eye fell out when you <laughs> died. And... How did you feel about the explicitness of the wolf being death? I mean, I didn't realize until the end. It was just such a surprise. All right. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I would have preferred a little bit more ambiguity. Sure. Or whether it actually had been a surprise. Like, I don't know if you've seen Oh Brother, We're Out There. Yes, I have. Yeah. Yeah. There's the, the sheriff who's hunting them throughout the entire film. And at the end, it's revealed that ain't the sheriff. That's the devil. Well, I mean, yeah. But even then, it's, it's like it could yeah. be just the sheriff. Right. But this is a kid's movie. This is a kid's movie. So I'd have liked it if it's like he was just a really cool bounty hunter, like who had a death motif. And at the end, he's like, hey, contract's off. It's all good. I'll see you again. And then you're sure. like, oh, shit, wait, is he death? I can definitely see where you're coming from. I don't think it's necessarily a, a better or worse situation. Yeah. Doing it one way or the other. And I think I, I think it's very telling that... um it is a puss in boots as well, who's classically a trickster. And well, you can't trick yeah. death. Like that's the thing. Yeah. It's like, this is um, the ultimate opponent for puss in boots. Yeah. I think as well, cause you were talking about, yeah. Cause it is a kid's movie. Yeah. But I think another interesting thing is like how, how to handle more like adult themes yeah. and like serious topics in a, in a friendly kind of way. Yeah. Um, because there's obviously a lot of stuff in this movie that's for adults, basically, right? Like, a oh, lot totally. of jokes that'll go over people's heads. Um, the fact that they show blood in a kid's movie is is pretty yes. interesting. I was expect like the I was expecting it to be a jam reveal. Like, he's, he smashed a bottle of wine above him. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, shit, no, that's blood. Oh, oh, they're going and that's there. a great that's a great shot as well with yeah. him just close up on the eyes. You can see the reflection of the wolf in them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's also the stuff about essentially like PTSD, you know, like Puss has like the panic attacks as well. Like yeah. when he sees the wolf later on. Um, and there, yeah, like it's a good, it's a good template, I think. And a good starting point if you want to touch on some more, some more serious stuff in your games without potentially going too far. Um, you want to like test the waters a little bit. And that's a good, looking at certain kids movies is, is a good starting point for that. Yeah, using them as metaphors and like finding the creatures that can be a metaphor for something, and just kind of bring. Yeah, and how to how to imply stuff without necessarily having to be explicit. Yeah, and just doing it kind of respectfully as well. That it's like, well, it is just a a metaphor because it's a safer way of doing it. And let's well, we won't get started on the fact that um, Puss in Boots gets shaved. I thought, sorry, I just had to hear adult themes and then in brackets I had bleeps, which <laughs> when oh, they just yes. like, when they just censored random words, like really, I did love that. <laughs> random, it was all um, Purito doing it as well. Yeah. Like, God damn it, dog. Uh, so, if you have yourself a, a little like soundboard or like a, a sensor button thing handy, that, that can work as well in your games. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. Uh, was there anything else I wanted? Oh, actually, yeah, there was a couple of things I wanted to talk about. Um, specifically in regard to Perito and talking animals. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what the rules are. I don't know why he can talk. Yeah, why, why does Perito... I, I'm, I haven't seen the first Puss in Boots, so what's Kitty Softpaws' deal? Why she, can she talk? I don't know. None of the other cats can talk, apparently. It seems like some <laughs> other creatures can talk, like the bears obviously can talk and Donkey can talk. Like is this, It's like they drank from the wrong pond or something. Uh, they're just like main characters, you know, <laughs> it's the difference between main characters and minor characters. How do you feel about talking creatures in your games or players wanting to oh. play like a goat that, that used to be a person or something? I think everybody loves talking animals. I think everyone um, does too. I think they're also handy as a DM because it widens the pool of 
ways that people can interact with people. One of my gripes with 5th edition, at least, is how um, so much RP is... It feels like it's gated behind, like, charisma scores. Yeah. Um, the people were just like, oh, you're, you're the face of the party. You go talk to them, you know, and it's just the same person talking again and again. Yeah. Um, but you yeah. have an animal, and it's like, well, you can do an animal handling check, or you can do whatever weird, you know... How because animals live totally different lives than people and do weird things. It's like, oh, I can fly as well. Like, hey, you're you're this bird. Like, we can bond over the fact we can fly, and it it, it doesn't have to just be reliant on on charisma checks, basically. Yeah, I agree with that. Like animal handling, I've had um recently the mayor that gives the the party their job is a dog that's been awakened and uh, what what kind of dog? Uh, he's a border collie most of the time. Um, oh, interesting. But any any. Anyone who wants to say who what they think the most mayoral dog is, uh, feel free to write in. And one of them, the first time I did it, everyone was like, yeah, sure, it's a dog. The second time, someone's like, I want to pat him. I'm like, cool, roll animal handling. It's like, yeah, if you know how to approach a dog and are respectful and he consents, he'll let you pat you. Pat you, pat him. Um, but just that that element of bringing other things in and... The animals see things in a different way. So intimidation might not work as well, the usual way that they do it, or nature, obviously. Yeah, and it's out. like, it's that thing of like, you know, you try to like smile at an animal, but they think you're like baring your teeth and it's yeah. a sign of aggression. Yeah. I was listening to D&Ds for Nerds and one of the early adventures, they cast speak with animals. As all parties love to do at some point. So you got to do the voices of squirrels and things. And they were talking to a dog. And they were trying to find out, like, I think they were doing a bounty and they're like, have you seen anyone suspicious? And the dog's like, yeah, yeah, there's a guy who comes by every day. He's really suspicious. I'm like, oh yeah, what does he look like? Well, he's got a hat on and a bag and he puts stuff in the mailbox and then he walks away, but he comes back every day. And it's like, to the dog, that's super suspicious. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and I love doing stuff like that. It's like, yeah, dogs will be like that. And Squirrel's like, yeah, yeah, I don't understand higher emotions, so I'm just going to be like, nuts? <laughs> yeah, I mean, animals are... I think, I think they do this in, like, theatre practice or, like, warm, like as a warm-up thing, right? You, like, pick an animal, basically, and you have to, like, pretend to be that animal and stuff like that. Because it's a good... It's a good way to like role play and to, to get into character or get into a character. You have like a yeah. template there of like, yeah, I know this animal's, it's small, it's probably kind of skittish or it's kind of just like weird <laughs> or, yeah. What did you do today? Well, I pretended to be a bear for about three hours. Um, what did you do? Oh, yeah, I went to my job. <laughs> that's, that's how I feel would I be doing that. Um, I do know every horse in my universe, no matter where it is, they all have a very heavy southern twang to their voices. Oh, really? <laughs> That's just how they do. Few people want to actually talk to the, the horses for some reason. But what about a player playing an animal? Ooh, as in like... Like they want to be not... the awakened dog or the goat or something. Sure. I feel like usually there are other motivations to that, but... I, I guess it's fine. I guess I'm okay with that. I mean, I've always... Going back to GURPS system, I remember seeing... This is GURPS, Generic Universal Role-Playing System, which you really can kind of play anything you want. There's rules. It's like, if you want to be a non-human, you take a whole bunch of disadvantages and setbacks in other areas. Like, you don't have hands, obviously. But I really wanted to play a goat that ate a magic book and now could talk. And he's like, I don't really want to, like deal with stuff but i do want to study so i just kind of want to get into university <laughs> but how do i do that and i just felt like it'd be like a really fun character to yeah. play i mean there are a lot of options and i think it's that thing as well of like it's familiar for people and especially like people who are new to role-playing games it's a good starting point of like oh like i get this but it's still it's still different, right? It's still fantasy and magic and weird and yeah. wonderful. So you're saying you wouldn't allow it? No, I'd say I'd be fine with it. I guess it depends. I'd want to know why, I suppose. But why they want to do it or why it happened in the first place? Why they want to do it. Because I want to be a goat. <laughs> sure. Then that's... Yeah, that's fine then, I guess. <laughs> it's well, there like is really a certain fun. thing... <laughs> 
depending on the game you're running, right? It, you will yeah. have to potentially. It's that thing of like, if someone's super weird in the party, like yeah. every every single place you go, there's there's going to be that question of like, well, like how do they fit in the door, or like yeah. everyone's going to be staring at them, and you got to be careful with that as well that it doesn't get too old too quick, or it's like drawing, yeah. you know, it's too much spotlight on one person. Yeah, there was a similar thing um, way back second edition. There was like one player really wants to play a storm giant and you can make up rules for that but maybe put all these setbacks in the way as well so they don't want to but also think about that's kind of what they're going to have to face like you yeah. can't just go down to go yeah i want a suit of armor for a size for a storm giant please that's going to cost a lot of money and it's probably eventually not going to be very fun whereas i think for a one shot like what is it the what's the story the animals of bremen bremen where it's like a donkey and a cat and a and a cro- uh, oh, cockerel yeah. yeah or even puss in boots like i want to have that story that adventure where or rapunzel is a uh, tangled i guess is the example we got the two human characters and then you've got the iguana character and the horse it's like he's i kind of want a chameleon to... sorry a qu- you're right he's a chameleon he's very I... very explicitly a chameleon. <laughs> he's very explicitly a chameleon i kind of want to play the horse in that adventure yeah like i want to be just a member of the party who happens to be a horse and like does things and is part of the adventure, but also just kind of does these things. Yeah. I, I can see it working for a one shot. I think a campaign, you're going to make it too difficult, but a one shot, it might be fun to just be like, Hey, yeah, I'm a horse. Yeah. I'm a goat. Yeah. I'm a chameleon. Yeah. I think so as well. I think a one shot's a better environment for that for sure. Yeah. And they, I think talking animals particularly work well as NPCs. Cause like we said, when we we're talking about, you know, how you talk about, um, rather than using charisma checks and, and things like that. Yeah. I reckon that was a good episode. I think we, we talked a lot about things. It's a um, good movie. Go watch it. It's a, it. yes. You know what? It's I'm an amazing, say, completely oof, faultless oof. movie. Between you and me trying to get me to admit things are masterpieces. Oh, wait, wait, can we talk about, I don't think okay. we talked about Jiminy Cricket. We didn't. Oh, I mean, we talked about well, the fact that's... that it's not Jimmy Stewart. But okay, yeah, sure. I think sure. that's. I think that is really funny as a because like certain NPCs, NPCs are there to like fill a certain role for you as the DM. Totally. I think having an NPC there who acts as like the, oh, party the conscience. conscience. Fuck yeah! yeah. I <laughs> I amazing. usually do that. I usually have two. I have the angel and the devil. Like, not specifically Angel and Devil. I have one NPC who's like, should we do this? Is this the smart thing to do? And then I usually have a goblin or an imp or something like, let's do this. This is a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> and it's always great because occasionally I go, Skunky thinks this is a good idea. We really shouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah. I, I just loved, he's probably my favorite little side character. He, he was uh, wonderful. Especially, I mean, just paired against Jack Horner, who, again, just over-the-top, cartoonishly evil. Yeah. Again, great villain. Like, great choice for who you're making. A irredeemable bad guy. Yeah. For In a, a fun um, way, yeah. Yeah, for a franchise that has had some irredeemable bad guys, that was a good choice. Yeah. But I do feel that they're starting to scrape the bottom of the barrel and running out of ideas, so we'll see see just need to make some more fairy tales make some more fairy tales just the modern fairy tales i mean is that not what superheroes are i will say i okay i know you were gushing about it before i feel it did not live up to the musical elements that the first two shrek films did which were part of the appeal when they first came out okay sure but it's not a shrek film no, it's not a Shrek film. And I, again, haven't seen the original Puss in Boots, so I don't know if that was carried through. But there were some epic sequences in the first two, two films set to amazing music. And that kind of, Like, the fact that there was a Shrek karaoke that came out after. Like, this was the level of music. This is kind of, to me, why Shrek managed to stay popular. Yeah, well, I think Shrek was more, like... It was making fun of fairy tales, right? Whereas this is more leaning into it. Yeah, yeah. I'd agree with that. 
They yeah, Shrek's more like a parody, whereas this is more like, yeah. So it's for younger kids. I got it. All right. I see. I'm just too old for it. Yeah, you've just lost that childlike <laughs> spark of imagination. That youthful vigor that I once had. All right, let us wrap up before I reminisce and to have my, you know, Alzheimer's attack and start to record all over again. Um, thank you for you. yeah. Before the wolf catches me, I mean, is that really a bad thing though? Am I right? I don't know. <laughs> Very well done. Very well done. For for the listeners, I didn't edit that in at all. That's just a thief having that ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Like any good GM. Yeah. Uh, if you have sound effects that you would like to send me, uh, email address is dndntvpod at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram at dndntvpod. Uh, we really appreciate all the feedback. Uh, we've got a few questions that are usually answered on the usual episodes, uh, which are going to be really fun. Uh, Fief has a couple that he's supposed to answer later on, but that's for a later time. Um, what else? Uh, yeah, leave us a rating and review wherever you find podcasts. Subscribe. It's great. Uh, we really appreciate that. Um, don't use Twitter. It sucks. Um, what else do I say? I usually say a couple of other things. I see when I don't have that, let's pick an NPC. I don't know where I go with my end of episodes. I just kind of blah, 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 blah. Uh, this was a bonus episode. Thank you, Afi, for coming on again. Uh, it was Did you say much appreciated. We were sponsor- who we're sponsored by? Uh, I was sponsored by Masters of Alchemy. <laughs> um, yeah. You can find both of us at Fortress Emporium Melbourne on Sundays, running games of D&D uh, and hopefully other systems as well. Um, what else? That's kind of it. Head over to the mastersofalchemy.com site uh, if you want to book us for private games. That's that's kind of it. Uh, so until next time, uh, may all your hits be crits. This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. Always was, always will be. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging.